blow in her face and she'll follow you anywhere. You are destroying the Constitution of the United States. May God have mercy on your souls. Good day. Yes. We could be saved if we just elected the right white man to power. That's creepy, but that's in a different category of creepy. Zitzu, zitzu, zitzu. Gary Geigers. Of course he introduced zoning laws. Okay. You know what? Don't. Yeah. The less I have to do with that game, the better. Here's my favorite part of the defense. Clodius was probably fucking his sister. Jughead, not Jarhead. I have nothing against Marines. I want to make okay. that very clear. I'd be really interested to find out what fucking truth that woman was trying to get at. And like with most episodes, I can bring it back to wrestling. Oh. Right, well, he's got other people who work for him who also do things, and, and they can okay. mutate okay. Uh, okay. human size into smaller worlds, after all. Fuck you. I still don't give a shit about getting fake property in a fantasy game. history of time where we shakily uh connect nerdery to the real world uh my name is ed blaylock i'm a world history teacher here in northern california and the uh very proud father of a two-year-old little boy um who uh has has decided that swords are one of his favorite sets of toys uh and uh, that that as a as a sword nerd myself that makes me very happy. Now I just need to actually figure out what the proper pedagogy is for for teaching a two year old to to lead with the edge rather than than the flat. And once I figure that out, uh, we'll be we'll be solid. Nice. So that's me. How about you? Uh, my name's Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin teacher up here in Northern California, uh, teaching both my children Latin. She's eight. He's ten. Uh, and Together I, they fight crime. Yeah. <laughs> in the ancient, ancient world. Um, and uh, actually, my, uh, my son recently had us rewatch episode three of Star Wars. Um, and he is all about how sad and tragic uh, Order 66 was and just like diving into the tragedy of it all and i'm like oh shit i kind of missed that part yeah that's true it is awful um and then uh and his his takeaway from it was anakin should have learned to let go of things wow whereas my daughter was analyzing the color scheme of the whole movie and like pointing out anytime anakin was talking about something he shouldn't be half of his face was in shadows now here's a question sure have you had any kind of a similar conversation about the lighting during the climax of Return of the Jedi? No, because that's not the one that we saw. But I bet you that'll come up. I bet you it okay. will. Yeah. Because, you know, of course, the iconic moment where, you know, mm-hmm. Luke is, is for a moment hiding and trying to gather his gather his strength. Right. And half half of his face is lit and half of his face is in shadow and Vader is it was yeah Vader at that yeah, point. Yeah, Vader's teasing he's, him basically. He's, he's taunting him. Yeah. So yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's both both of your children are remarkably precocious in very different ways. Yeah, it's it's really and something. It is it is it is remarkable to me the extent to which they they exemplify different different aspects of of intelligence Mm -hmm. emotional 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 intelligence versus you know 
linguistic spatial yeah you know oh yeah, yeah. she absolutely it's, spends all her time b- above the eyebrows and he spends all his time <laughs> beneath the sternum yeah you know it, it's amazing yeah so so uh they both love the the far side though and and he's he loves the slapstick of it and she loves the puns of it so again mm-hmm. reinforcing that um so last we talked, uh, Gary Larson was in almost 2,000 newspapers. Um, he is subversive without meaning to be because he's poking at our language and at our culture. Not even our culture, but like our agreed upon norms. Now, I'm going to fast forward a bit, but you, okay. you have a quizzical look on your face. Yeah, I want to I want to I want to I want to pick a little bit at what you say about him being subversive without mm-hmm. meaning to be. Mm hmm. I, I think I think he did mean to be subversive, but I think we tend to load subversive mm-hmm. with meaning that isn't necessarily there. By yeah, he which, was he was not we, trying we, to be politically subversive. He, he was not he was not trying to be politically subversive. Yeah. He was not. Yeah, he he was he was being kind of kind of. Uh, uh, ambient subversive, mm-hmm. which which may not be a good way of describing it, but it was, it was no no let's 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 poke some holes in reality. Yeah, you know, yeah. So, so, and and as you pointed out last episode, and, and kind of we, we didn't we didn't sit on it very much, <clears throat> but I I think I think it's an important point that his 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 absurdity. Mm-hmm. was a reflection of and simultaneously kind of an escape from <clears throat> pardon me mm-hmm. uh the 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 background absurdity the the existential mm-hmm. uh, absurdity of of what life what was going on in the world yes in the 1980s and and it was i think on a subconscious level, part of the reason it was it was so popular mm-hmm. was because, as with so many other you know uh, 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 works that we've that we've discussed, it brought up the the things that people were anxious about. It brought up that that absurdity, that that incoherent, inchoate kind of formless level of the world is just fucking bonkers, man. Yeah. And, and allowed readers to point and laugh at it. I think he was subversive in the same way that the jester is subversive. Yes. Yeah. Yes. With, without, but, but he allowed, he allowed us to do that. He allowed readers to, to point and laugh at the absurdity of our world without us ever having to consciously accept that it was our world that we were laughing at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he did not take it to the degree that Mad Magazine took it. Quite honestly. Well, okay, Mad Magazine was was straight up cultural and political satire. Yeah, like um, I wound up. My, but it's my on the same vein, though. It it's look how silly this is. Yeah, well, and yeah. Larson yeah. stops there, but Mad Magazine's looks how silly this is. And by the way, look at where you're standing. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. One, one, one. Look where you're standing. Uh, number two, um, all of these people are hypocrites. Yes. And we're going to call them out by name for being hypocrites. Yes. 
and you know um you know we, we're gonna we're gonna point out to you that you know anybody who tries to tell you anything is trying to sell you something and now buy our magazine and now buy our magazine yeah and, and we're going to be blatant about and now buy our magazine yeah you know um yeah and 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 so it's they're, they they exist on a continuum <laughs> you know and uh, political cartoons or actually I'd say on a set of axes mm-hmm. like you know you know seriousness versus you know uh, uh, juvenility or, or yeah seriousness versus versus juvenility and and you know pointed you know calling people out versus background mm-hmm. you know background subversion. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I think I think I think subversive is a really good word mm-hmm. for what he did, but it's a very different kind of subversive. Yes. Yes. Then it we was normally think of it was the what was interesting about it is that it, it was far more acceptable subversion than the other <laughs> tools of subversion that were out there in the same genre. Even he was universally more uh appreciated across both aisles uh up and down you know the xy axis as well yeah than was dunesbury yeah you know well because again dunesbury was coming from a very specific political direction yes uh, uh and during certainly during during reagan's time in office um you know, yeah, it was it was really clear where uh, I've just completely forgotten the name of the author of Doonesbury, but but it was really clear where that comic strip was coming from, mm-hmm. and and so it was it was partisan, whereas what Larson was doing wasn't even in any way overtly political at all. Right. So it was it was a lot more palatable, yeah. to everybody. Yeah, it was Gary Trudeau, by the way. So thank you. All right. So fast forward for a little bit in 2017, well okay. after Larson has retired, Kelly Baum, Baum, B-A-U-M. Um, I'm going to say Baum because the Latinist in me. Uh, she exhibited absurdist art from around the world uh, okay. at a uh, art gallery. Um, okay. And uh, here is a quote uh, from, I believe, the program. Uh, she's quoted. She says, "Indeed, irrationality is, in many respects, the repressed other of art after 1950. Practicing hysteria, stimulating mania, and cultivating lunacy were ways of revolting against an oppressive rationalism." She said. So she's doing this in 2017. Okay. Just to point out the specific year that she puts out this. And there were yeah. uh, over 100 pieces, I want to say, of absurdist art. She yeah. and many other artists lay the horrific effects of hyper-rational politics, which created a manic state of reality, um, at, at our feet. And she says, quote, Delirium was one of the defining experiences of the 1950s, 1960s, and 1970s, and it gave rise to delirious forms of art. She says this. Now, notice what decade is exempt from that. 
Okay. But um, I would say that in the 1980s, they doubled down on it and gave us Gary Larson. Okay. Baum continues. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in the hands of institutions like governments and corporations, spoken and written language served only to persuade and elude, not to enliven and galvanize. And she goes on to say that in 2017, and there's no reason to think that it's any different at the time of this podcast, propaganda is still king. Yeah. Yeah. Slam dunk. (laughs) Yeah. Can't can't argue it. All right. Speaking of the now, the far side, as I said at the very beginning of the episodes, is back. And it's exactly this return that spawned this podcast. Why did the far side come back now? Why now? Why not 10 years ago? Why not 10 years from now? Specifically, why January of 2020? I went to the man's words himself, Gary Larson. He said uh, that he started liking drawing again because he bought a tablet. That's all. Yeah, well, okay. Well, okay, there's more to it than that. But he does give that answer in the New York <clears throat> Times. So yeah. when people ask him, hey, why are you coming back now? I think a lot of people are kind of like, what's going on, Gary? And some people just, you know, can lazily point out 40 year anniversary. Cool. Um, But he's like, oh, yeah, no, I can I can draw better. It's nicer. But he also wrote an open letter to us explaining his return. And in it, yes, technology was part of it. But the other part, he says here, quote, years ago, when I slowly started realizing I had a second publisher and distributor of my work known as anyone with a scanner and associates. Um, I did find <laughs> I, I did find it unsettling enough to write an open letter to whom it may concern, explaining best as I could why I preferred that the people doing this would kindly refrain. Basically, he didn't like that people were taking his intellectual property and pushing it into realms that he hadn't agreed to. That totally makes sense as an artist, right? And yeah. a lot of folks were very enthusiastic fans, and he said. I, I felt bad telling somebody who is just a, a really good fan. Um, but at the same time, that's my stuff. Please don't do that. I mean, honestly, hell, I belong to three Farside appreciation groups on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> quote, here's more of what he says. Quote, my change of heart on this has been due not only to some evolution in my own thinking, but also in two areas I've always cared about when it comes to this computer internet stuff, security and graphics. He goes on, trying to exert some control over my cartoons has always been an uphill slog, and I've sometimes wondered if my absence from the web may have inadvertently fueled someone's belief of my cartoons were up for grabs. They're not, but it's always been inherently awkward to chase down a far side festooned website when the person behind it is often simply just a fan. And then he puts in parentheses, although not everyone is quite so uncomplicated in their motives, my cartoons have been taken up or have been taken and used to help sell everything from donuts to rodent control. At least I offer range. <laughs> so I'm hopeful that this web, this official website will help temper the impulses of the infringement inclined. So ultimately, that's why he's back, to protect where and how his cartoons are used. Simple artistic desire to protect what he's worked on. Okay. But, as we often say... Authorial intent doesn't mean squat when it's cast against the silhouette of the zeitgeist. So here's my theory. And I got permission from the authors to to share it. Bonnie Burton said in an article from CNET on December 16th, 2019, she says, 
Uh, but at a time where tragedy and cruelty seem to dominate headlines, one, uh, one thing is certain. We could use Larson's oddball humor now more than ever. The far side pointed out the ludicrous side of being human and the secret genius of animals. So yeah, okay. he came back to protect his stuff, but at the same time, look at when he popped onto the scene the first time, and look at what he's popping on now. Yeah, we live in um, the yeah. Well, I I want to I want to hold off on on my take until we hear what you because it sounded you said the authors. Mm-hmm. So is there another is there another pull quote you've got? Um, not for a little bit. <clears throat> so okay. So yeah. then I'm so then I'm going to jump in with this one then. Sure. We we are officially inescapably now living in a uh, in a in a post truth environment. <laughs> Even that phrase uh, is fucking absurd. Yeah. Yes. That's yes, an Ubu it's, Roy it's, phrase. It's, yeah, it, phrase. It is. It yeah. is. Yeah. It is. And and the thing is, we we are we are in an environment where. Um, the the president of the United States and his administration are making pronouncements mm-hmm. about reality repeatedly, all the time, that are patently mm-hmm. and and patently false and easily disproven. But they keep doing it. They've literally done it since inauguration. Well, I mean, yeah, since, since the campaign, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. No, I mean, like, actually saying that there were more people than were there, and when they were shown the, oh, the pictures, yeah. they were like, yeah, see, there's more people. And it's like, how... It, are you looking at... Are we looking at the same picture? Do you know like, what object what? permanency is, sir? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he aced that cognitive test they gave him the other yeah, day. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, did did remarkably well on it. Like, you know, People sir, couldn't believe I, it. I've never... Yeah. People couldn't. People couldn't believe it. Um, like, okay, I'm sorry. If they're giving you a cognitive test as part of your physical, that's something we, as the American people, need to fucking know about. Like, the fact they're giving you the test. They gave Mick Foley a cognitive test to see if he'd had too many concussions, not yeah. just for funsies. No. Yeah. Like. Like let's 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 take a look at this real like for real. Mm-hmm. This is this is not something. This is not a part of a normal physical. I didn't have to to you know put put names under pictures of animals mm-hmm. as part of my last last physical. Like I was not timed in in taking a look at you know figuring out a, a linkage between numbers and letters. Right. Like no, they only do that if somebody's worried. Yeah. So. So funny, and, and, funny that you would bring that up, because in 1980, we elected a man president. <laughs> this is so much anything that's happened before has happened again and will happen again. The only difference is a difference of degree, and it's not even that much a difference of degree, unfortunately. The acuity is, but we have, again, gone from a president who was incredibly intelligent and compassionate, despite the demands of his office... And it's no secret that I have tremendous trouble with what he's done to brown people throughout the world, by the way, um, the, the former president, Obama, um, and how much he shorted black folks here at home. But he was a very intelligent and compassionate man at the same time. If you look at his reaction to Sandy Hook 
is Trayvon Martin and the Pulse shooting, you can see he's a man of tremendous compassion and decency. And so was Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter is still building homes for people and will probably do it until the day he dies. And he keeps teasing us with that because he keeps falling down and getting hurt. And yet the next day he's back out there, broken hip and all, swinging a hammer. Anyway, so we went from that kind of a man to a media-based white older man who made people feel uh, who made angry people feel justified. Both yeah. spoke in slogans, both used tough man rhetoric, neither knows fuck all how anything works, and they think that just by force of personality and bully pulpit boilerplate rhetoric that they can effect change that their base is wanting, damn the costs. Both are huge friends to the ultra-rich. Both pretended to be the image that they're most seen as, a tough guy or a rich guy. Both are literally the opposite of what they profess to be. Reagan never passed a single balanced budget, despite being an alleged fiscal conservative. And Trump can't figure out which way the Bible goes. Moreover, (laughs) both of them essentially did their due diligence when it came to harming marginalized folks, either by ignoring them, as Reagan did with the AIDS crisis, and by cutting taxes to help stop uh, them from from going to the poors, or by repossessing rights finally given to people, instituting travel bans, separating over 70,000 children from their parents, refusing to act during the times that would have helped during COVID, encouraging actual violence, validating Nazis, etc., as Trump has. So we yeah. are living in very similar times, and both times, under similar conditions, certain things came back. Gary Larson's subversive absurdism and his cartoons seems to be one of those things. Okay. Yeah, no, I, that makes sense. I, I think I think we... I, I'm... I, I think everything that you point out about Reagan mm-hmm. is in, is, I mean, you know, supported. Mm-hmm. None, none of those none of those accusations are are you know, deeply flawed. Um, I think the the overtness of of the hatred mm-hmm. is 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 a new thing. I think the degree is different. I don't think the kind is. Because I think about no. Amy Grant and her anti-homosexual campaign. Amy Grant? No, Anita Bryant. Sorry, Anita Amy Bryant. Grant. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> see who else I can yeah. accuse on this you know, <clears throat> yeah, no, podcast. But, but yeah, no, yeah, no. Anita, Anita Bryant. Mm-hmm. No, I, you're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not wrong. And Reagan um, going and validating those people with his presence as the president, as the commander-in-chief, standing next to people who absolutely and again you and I were children um yeah. and uh, but I I can almost guarantee you um gay people who were in their prime uh probably saw it differently than we did uh yeah black people in the neighborhoods where crack was being let in because of Oliver North and because of Reagan's policies yeah. you know like like there's so much there that I would say no all of that was really fucking mean too the difference is the mouth was not as frothy when when Reagan did it. And that's that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. Um it's that's 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 essentially what I'm saying and I think the the when when 
Reagan got elected mm-hmm. and when Reagan got reelected, the 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 tone, for lack of a better word, but mm-hmm. the 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 message was he's he's going to build us up. Right? Right. He's gonna build us up. The message <laughs> With I, Trump is I'm going to hurt the right people. I alone can fix this. I yes. Yeah. I I alone yes very much. He definitely placed himself as a savior. Yeah. But, but you're right. But it's it's but it's 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 an overt. First off, it's it's an overt. I am I am your savior, mm-hmm. which is terrifying language to come from an elected official. Um and and it is it is. <sighs> Reagan, Reagan dog whistled. Um, whereas the current administration has not bothered to dog whistle. Yeah, they both because yeah. yeah, because because the the base for for both of them is the same base, but that base has aged by forty years. Yep, and the. Uh, so, so they're, they're, they're 40 years older and the world has changed in ways that, that are demographically terrifying to them. Mm -hmm. And so their motivation has gone from, uh, being concerned about national malaise and this guy we've got being, you know, you know, getting, getting attacked by a rabbit, you know, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta be strong. We gotta be strong to, now being overtly, um, we had to put up with a black man in the White House, right? And so now we're gonna get even. Yeah, there, there's. So I'm gonna push back a little bit just because I know under Reagan we actually closed the Mexican border to yeah. America, and prior to that we had cir- circular migration. It was zero problems. Yeah. Um, now some of that's who he put in charge, but also he was absolutely playing to that nationalistic base. Um, being a man from Southern California as well. Uh, but I, I would say that, uh, under, under, under Reagan, all the policies were virtually the same under Trump. There is, and, and I would say that they were policies aimed at, um, rich white folks shoring up their their power yeah. and protecting what power they had uh okay. whereas now there yeah. is a level of lashing <clears throat> out um they're no longer protecting anything they're lashing out and that's a very different uh focus yes I would say the policies interestingly yes. Yes. are still startlingly similar though and that 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 should be cause for pause yeah no i don't i don't i don't yeah. think yeah no i i don't i don't think <clears throat> i don't i don't think on a on a policy level there's yeah I, I i don't think we disagree on that at all uh you know big oil um you know mm-hmm. uh uh trying trying to trying to actively derail attempts to combat climate change yes i mean reagan literally is not was, was is not up there with iacocca and a bunch of other guys taking off the solar panels on the top of the white house. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, and, and so, yeah, no, yeah, no, the policies aren't different, but it's, it's now there. 
it, all, all of that has had 40 years to fester mm-hmm. and become, as you say, and, and, and go from, we're going to, we're going to, we got to defend the, the rights and the perquisites and the privileges of, of the most privileged to now being the base has now determined that they need to lash out. Yeah. And that, and that quote you keep mentioning when we talk about this, you know, he's not hurting the right people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah, yeah chilling. Yeah. So anyway, carry on. So in the 1980s, uh, Jean Baudrillard, um, I think that's how you pronounce his name. It's, it seems French. It reads French, but I speak Latin. Uh, he took the baton from Jacques Derrida and Michel Foucault. And uh, when it came to this idea of semiotics, um, which is essentially the study of signs and their meanings, um, he carried forth the idea of post-structuralism. Okay, that the that signification and meaning are both only understandable in terms of how particular words or signs interrelate with each other. Thus, meaning is brought about through a system of signs working together, not the individual signs per se. Meaning is set in opposition to its opposite. So a corn dog doesn't have any meaning per se until you categorize it as being not hamburger, not salad, not chocolate bar, etc., etc., until you've eliminated all the other possibilities so that now you know what a corn dog really is. Okay, so if you say corn dog, what you're really saying is it's it's not all these other things. It's not B through Z, it's A. So A is defined as being not B through Z. It cannot exist on its own, but in opposition to all that it isn't, okay? So my salt shaker, there's no meaning to that unless you look at it in context of all the things that it isn't. It's not a pencil sharpener. It's not a dog. It's not It's not a whole bunch of things that I can see. And then it eliminates it down to being a, a salt shaker. So there's more that gets into this, but I, I want to get into what he did in the 80s, Okay. Um, he said, okay. and this is, this is Baudrillard. Yeah. You had a question? No, no. Oh, I'm just so wrapping he, my head around yeah. what you were just saying. So, all right. So in the 1980s, he said that we are all living in a hyper reality where we were all simulation based on simulacra. We we're all reference and no actual reference. Um, And in an increasingly technological society, that would actually continue. He disagreed with Fukuyama, who said that we had entered into the end of history as a culmination of historical development. Uh, He said, rather, that we'd done so as a collapsing of all historical development. So it wasn't this culmination so much as it was uh, we collapsed in on ourselves. We'd gone to the point where the meanings of things and the reality itself was based entirely on the image of what we believed, not on the actual reality. Okay. Here's a quote. The end of his... Oh, yeah? Okay. No, uh, just we're we're kind of bouncing off of uh, the back wall of Plato's cave with this. Yes. Quite so. Okay. Yeah. And he's saying that that's the reality we live in. Just wanted to make sure that... Okay. Yeah. So the end of history, here's a quote, the end of history is, alas, also the end of the dustbins of history. There are no longer any dustbins for disposing of old ideologies, old regimes, or old values. 
we are wh- where we are going to throw off Marxism, which actually invented the dustbins. Or I'm sorry, where are we going to throw Marxism, which actually invented the dustbins of history? And then in parentheses he says, yet there is some justice here, since the very people who invented them have fallen in. Conclusion: If there are no more dustbins of history, this is because history itself has become a dustbin. It has become its own dustbin, just as the planet itself is becoming its own dustbin. So to refresh, nothing has any meaning, and we're all play-acting the meaning out, being led by a president who's playing at being a president, and Gary Larson is showing us the absurdity of it all by creating juxtapositional elegance in single-panel comics. Okay, there's there's no part of that train of logic that I can assail with anything, yeah. so... And, okay. now, and now here we are with what was, according to Baudrillard, a hyper-reality. Quote, these go to 11. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I needed to quote Rob Reiner there. Uh, or actually Christopher yeah, no, Guest, technically. Yeah. Nobody in the 19... Yeah, well. Yeah. Nobody in the 1980s believed that universal values were, in fact, universal. But they were, and they are still rhetorically employed to justify otherwise unjustifiable choices. Here's one for you. Greed works. Greed is good. So we live in a slogan reality. Yeah. And it's like we've gone into a cocaine-induced fever dream version of that 11 status from the 1980s in an effort to reanimate Nietzsche's corpse because we really dug the will to power idea after all. (laughs) Another author, <laughs> which, which, which Nietzsche would be in a hurry to say that's not that's not actually what I was trying to tell you, yeah, guys, yeah, like he's no. like no, just hate women, it's okay, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, not not where not where I was going, but yeah, that's no, where not, he was again. Yeah. I can't sail that. Yeah. <laughs> so another author, uh, Giacomo uh, Guia. G-I-U-A. Here's an Italian name. Uh, again, I I know Latin. Um, Characterize uh, Borillard this way. He said, quote, Signs and symbols replacing our experience of reality with a construct tailored to the human being. With this extended reality now closely aligned to advertising and stereotyped mass culture, it becomes clear that technology has become widely misused. Instead of a functioning as a resource to help us compensate for our lack, it has become a vehicle for media to bombard users with messages designed to create false needs. And how could we engage in a meaningful analysis of our lives, a requirement in Camus' absurdity of life, when the mass cultural messages that pervade our reality are telling you the exact opposite? So we're through the looking glass, essentially. And he goes on, he says, through technology, the media machine has modified our perception of solitude. Fear of missing out has become a key theme of our time which is really interesting in the time of COVID, actually. Uh, the cons- this constant engagement with others, <laughs> <laughs> this constant engagement with others denies us precious time for thinking about our lives, our society. Without time and space to think, we cannot confront the, unre- uh, the unreasonableness of society. A dilute thought is already available just to click away. And I would say if he wrote this a little bit later, he would have said just to swipe away. 
Yeah. Yeah. I can I can see that. I you know the the I I think it would it could be worth studying the semiotics of meme culture. Mhm. Oh, and absolutely. and you know the 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 metacognition involved in all of that. Mhm. You know and and when you were talking about the the quote there that said um you know, we don't. We're, we're not. We're not able to reflect as Kimmy required us to do because culture is actively pushing us not to. <laughs> One of my drama coaches in high school mm-hmm. had as one of her absolute pet peeves was. Uh, do you remember Bud Dry? I do beer? not. The do ads not. for that. Okay. No. Um. <clears throat> it was it was a flash in the pan thing mm-hmm. back some someplace in the early nineties. And and the tagline was why ask why? Try bud dry. I do remember that. And 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 she she I remember vividly she had a three or four minute rant. Mm-hmm. In 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 one of our one of our rehearsal prep sessions about you have to ask why why is the most important question always ask why oh wow yeah and I mean in, in her case in, in her in her case of course she was specifically talking about you know Stanislavski and method and you mm-hmm. know why am I why is my character doing this what's my you know but but on a, on a, on a much broader scale. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, it gets back to, you know, if, if you're ever going to be able to genuinely give your life meaning, asking why is crucial. Yes. Not, not just, not just as a theater exercise, but for everything. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you don't think about the culture actively, mass culture actively pushing us not to do that, but it literally does. Right. In in that case, like you can't get more literal than that. Um, you know, and and fear of missing out mm-hmm. and and everything everything else that he that he was that he was talking about about, you know, social interaction and all this stuff. Um, you know, it's interesting that um there's a lot of introvert extrovert kind of dynamic going on there mm-hmm. in in the you know in, in the idea of of you know our culture is driven by obsessive extroversion yeah and it was not until i was in my late 30s that you know the the idea of extroversion introversion you know gained enough traction thanks to the internet right that you know i actually heard from friends of mine who i'd known since high school or Mm -hmm. or since college that no no um being an introvert sometimes feels like being kind of an oppressed minority because the culture does not value that yeah and and that was one of my moments of kind of kind of having to sit and kind of have an uncomfortable listen um 
to to the lived experience of of people I knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, not not on on the same level or degree as you know, uh, you know, people of color or or, or you know, uh, non non het non cis people, but sure, sure. but still, you know, they're they're the the cultural defaults are extrovert and mm-hmm. when you're not an extrovert that that creates a a dichotomy or a or a separation that that can be jarring that that can be hurtful and you know when when especially when when the culture has to take an extroversion to a degree that is toxic yeah pushes and and doesn't doesn't merely value extroversion more but actively pushes extroversion yeah and it's there's this urgency to it and there's this to me it feels like um you're on a treadmill and somebody's just been slowly tapping the plus one over time to the point where you're 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 running to exhaustion and then and then suddenly the power went out and you have to stop running. <laughs> and then, yeah, like, well, the people yeah, who didn't want to run in the first goddamn place, they just wanted to walk. They're like, oh, shit, right. I get to just sit still now for a minute. And now all of us are like, did I have to run that hard? Like, <laughs> You know, it, it's... it's. <laughs> you know, here, here's the thing. And, you know, and, and, and that, that leads me to, to an observation that... You know, we we are hearing an awful lot in the media right now from and about, you know, all of the people who are, oh, my God, I've been stuck in the house for a month. And, oh, my God, I got to get out. I want to go to a restaurant. I want to go get my hair done. I want to go this, that, and the other thing. Oh, my God, I got to go to a bar. And, you know, I'm I, – I literally, literally, like every time I've taken the Myers-Briggs personality – uh, uh, yeah, yeah, assessment. Yeah. yeah, the MBTI. Every time I've taken that, the the I'm I'm either an ESFP or an ESFJ, mm-hmm. depending on the phase of the moon. My my perceiving versus judging kind of shifts back and forth. But uh, the the ESF part is is solid, and the extrovert part, I I ping the needle. Yeah, like yeah. I am. I am a massive, massive extrovert. And and after being in quarantine for a month and a half, two months, whatever, however long it was we were we were here, because mm-hmm. time has ceased to have meaning. Um, you know, I'm I'm I would like to get to a place where I could, you know, visit with my college buddies again. Mm-hmm. I would like to get to a place where I could take my son to uh, the children's museum mm-hmm. rather than having to time our outings to the early morning uh, so as not to wilt under the baleful gaze of a hateful sun now mm-hmm. that it's July. You know, uh, being able to go someplace that would be air-conditioned and have all kinds of stuff for him to do would be awesome. But, yeah. you know, but you know, as much as I would like to do those things, I'm not in a huge hurry to to do this frenzied. Oh my God, we gotta go out and got I'm going crazy. Right. I gotta get my hair cut. And and I I genuinely think that the people we're hearing about who are doing that, 
who are losing it like that mm-hmm. are some combination of politically motivated and they are I, I think I think they are they are genuinely an overly loud minority. I really don't think there are that many people who are in that big hurry to get back to normal just to get back to normal. Yeah, I think most people are looking you know what to I mean? to reassert what normal actually should be for them. It's 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 I think it's yeah, a wonderful opportunity yeah. that we have in front of us. Unfortunately, history has shown that we don't take good advantage of those things. So so yeah, yeah. a dilute Alas. thought and oh yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. a, a dilute thought is just a click away, is what he says, right? Now, I want you to yeah. let that settle in as we realize that we have a president now who announces actual policy, hirings and firings, and signals to his gendarmes when and where to attack via Twitter. Had Reagan been alive today, he'd likely be using the same exact tools, but in a slightly nicer, more polite way, which reminds me of Sartre's polite occupiers. This world is, by that analysis, exceedingly absurd. Technology has merged with the human tendency toward deadly rationalism to create a world in which absurdity reigns, and we are all puppets on a string playing along, sending memes back and forth to each other. And memes, while dank, are similar to Larson's art. <laughs> well, the dankest ones are yes. Are, they're single. Yeah. They're single panel or a single panel divided into a few to give a sense of progression. For instance, the the young the young man yelling at the old man and somebody throws a chair um, with with a caption. The, the what? The tuttles. Oh, right. the tuttles. Sure, that's that's the families. Okay. The tuttles. So no wonder from. from yeah. No wonder Gary Larson's back. His art form has been a popular one for quite some time now on social media. We summoned him. Yeah. Hannah. <laughs> Hannah. No St- lies detected. Yeah. Hannah Steinkopf Frank uh, wrote an article for In These Times a couple years ago, bringing back Ubu Roy. Quote. The titular figure of Ubu, popularized by anti-fascist artists in the 20th century, is experiencing a sudden afterlife in the age of Trump. And she goes on to explain that a playwright named Paula Vogel issued a challenge to write a five-page sketch about Trump, setting it in the Ubu Roy verse. Quote, because of its timely and timeless themes of greed, narcissism, and violence. She also notes the striking similarities between King Ubu and President Donald Trump, including their oversized personas, odd use of language. Vogel encouraged playwrights to include the word kofifi. Um, <laughs> Steinkoff Frank goes on. She says, most significantly, uh, most significantly, Jerry's uh, Ubu Roy set the stage for the theater of the absurd, which, as a critic, as critic Martin Eslin put it, uses theater to quote shock its audience out of complacency. And that comes back to your drama teacher being the one talking about authenticity, asking why and whatnot, mm-hmm. because theater is inherently inauthentic, and yet it gets at something that's so true and real about us. Again, it's that weirdness. Mm-hmm. She says that Vogel's efforts were to affect change throughout comedy and whimsy. Absurd, though, not satire. And I'm going to come back to that in a second. First, Vogel is quoted. 
quote, the truth of the matter is the most effective tool for despots and tyrants is ridicule, says Vogel. The most successful tool is comedy. Comedy stings more, I think, than tragedy does. I think this is time. Uh, I think this is the time for us to get out our clown shoes and our puppets and our marionettes and mock, mock, mock the king. Now, we've talked about this before. Satire doesn't work for reasons that we've discussed any number of times. Absurdism <laughs> actually might. So that brings me to Gary Larson. Why now and why this year? Sat- okay, real quick. Yeah. yeah. Um, real quick. You, you, you mentioned, you know, <clears throat> again, that, you know, satire doesn't work for reasons we've discussed. I actually found a Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you've probably seen me share a couple of things from that is we have murdered satire and we sit atop its corpse like a throne. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Well, satire had four years to topple Trump already. One year to prevent him and we're three years in on the Mad King's reign. Satire is not getting the job done. These are absurd times. Thoroughly absurd times. And so now we have people making the argument that the economy is more important than people's lives again. And the call has gone out culturally for a return of one of our greatest absurdist artists who showed us the same thing 40 years ago. The far side is not about Sisyphus like Camus would probably want it to be. The far side is about the audience being (laughs) Aeneas. We are faithful to the signs that Baudrillard says are simulacra. We cling to those. We are faithful to the hope and the optimism that Sartre continues to nourish, no matter how bad things get. We are faithful in our refusal to revolt, leading to the liberation and passion that Camus louds. We are faithful in our refusal to recognize the absurdity of language, clinging instead to it uh, through satire and social media arguments. Ionesco, Camus ultimately, and Jari would side with Gary Larson's unconscious efforts to highlight the absurd. You pick a cartoon of his, and you'll almost always be transported to the middle of the river Styx, even though you're Aeneas. And that's where Larson's sensibilities lay. He's not telling us what to choose or what our morality should be like Camus or Sartre did. He's telling us that in the presence of such important decisions and choices, Ionesco was right. We're puppets playing with words that only make sense because we let them make sense, which means that the rest of this makes sense because we let it make sense, but none of it really makes sense. Okay. So, of course, the far side is back. Okay. Yeah. We made it necessary by not learning from it the first time around. The only... (laughs) The only difference is that our collective nihilism is universally less gleeful. Now we are unable to ignore what many people were dealing with under Reagan. There was a huge plague that was attacking an entire segment of the population we could all safely ignore because they were marginalized. Now it's everyone. We're absurd in our inability to confront our grossest selves and instead we choose to elect the most cartoonishly worst version of ourselves to the highest office of the land. It's really a case of bummer of a birthmark, Hal, meets Midville School for the Gifted. <laughs> yeah. 
and 135,000 yeah. people I have can't. died from something we could have prevented. Yeah. Yeah. And that's absurd. So, yeah, that's why Gary Larson came back. Yeah. So, so that is my thesis. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, I, I blew my, I, yeah, I, I, I used up my powder on, uh, earlier, earlier remarks. I, I can't <laughs> in, in this moment, I can't really think of very much to, to add to that. Yeah, it's, um, it's a I weird think, feeling when you, when you back your, you paint yourself into a corner and you're like, Oh shit, I didn't like this pattern at all. Like, it's like, oh, man. Like, oh, God. Why, how did... Why did I do plaid? How did I, how did I get here? Yeah. (laughs) Why did I do that plaid? Right. Plaid, oh, depending on the tartan, hey, you know. On the kitchen floor, Why did I go... Yeah. (laughs) You know, and now you're in the corner by the pantry. You're like, shit. (laughs) Yeah, what what possessed me to go with McLeod of... With Loud McLeod as as the pattern I was going to pick. Wall. Why did I do that? Now I have a migraine and I can see the color through my eyelids. Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> you know. Um you know, I, I think I think the one thing mm-hmm. the one the one thing that occurs to me now uh is you know, you're talking about we can we can no longer ignore the the, the problems that we're facing. You know, the, yeah. that previously the stuff that was being done was was you know, victimizing marginalized groups. And I think, um, I, I think, I think there's, there's a call in that for stern optimism Mm -hmm. because part of what we are facing up to and part of what we are busy throwing dank memes back and forth at one another about mm-hmm. on on the ephemeral you know uh, uh, you know social media sites right are are the genuine problematic things that that we were letting that, that we were allowing to remain in the background mm-hmm. before the entire like the whole black lives matter movement and the extent to which that has now actually gained a, a measure of actual meaningful attention mm-hmm. from zoomers and gen Xers and, you know, yeah, that's true. White people, yeah. you know, um, I, I think, I think, yeah, it's, it's like, oh my God, the world sucks because now we're, we're seeing all this stuff now. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that we can't ignore it anymore shows that the generations who've come since the eighties mm-hmm. have a more universal sense of compassion. Yeah. And and are not going to sit on that shit anymore. And and are not buying into the hypocrisy and the bullshit of of the people who came before them on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I, I I posted about this on Facebook 
uh, the other day. Um, over the Fourth of July weekend, uh, my my family and I went down to San Diego to visit with my parents. And before we went down, my wife got tested because she had a cough and her, her, her job required her to get a COVID test mm-hmm. to, to continue working. And my folks got a COVID test or my mother got a COVID test. And of course, if my wife tests negative, then I got to be negative because there's no way I could be positive and she's not. Right. And vice versa with my dad. And so, you know, we, 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 you know, Got got a clean bill of health, and and we were very careful about going anywhere, wearing masks, doing all that stuff. But anyway, we went down to visit my folks, and I've spoken before about you know growing up in Reagan country, mm-hmm. um, in in a suburb in in San Diego, California, a uh, neighborhood called Scripps Ranch, mm-hmm. and it is it is it is very white people, mm-hmm. um, very intense white people. Uh, and middle class to comfortably, you know, I, I don't, I don't think we had any one percenters, but we, we probably had some four percenters, you know, at the, at the, at the upper end of, of, of the pecking order in my neighborhood. Sure. And in my neighborhood, what struck me was that there were multiple black lives matter lawn signs interesting uh throughout my neighborhood uh black lives matter in scripps ranch was was the sign that somebody had clearly made a whole bunch of them and a whole bunch of people had put them out on their front lawns and on the uh fence uh outside my elementary school Mm -hmm. somebody had put up a very very large poster Mm mm-hmm uh, actually, a pair of them. One of them was a, just Black Lives Matter, and the other one was listing names of people who'd been killed by the police: Breonna Taylor and George right. Floyd, and and yeah. et cetera. And um, and and that was up there. Now, <laughs> some asshole had shown up and X'd both of the posters out with a spray paint can. But the fact still remains. It was up the there. The fact still remains. Well, number one, the fact still remains that it was up there, and either the person who had put it up or somebody else then went in and over over the lines of the black X, they they then painted BLM, 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 BLM over nice. the whole thing. So there there was there was this mimetic argument nice. <laughs> going on. Over this, and the thing is, if 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 Scripps Ranch white people mm-hmm. are convinced enough of something to risk getting into an argument with their neighbors by putting up that sign, mm-hmm. I think there's reason to hope that things are going to get better. Okay. Stern optimism. Well, the stern part comes in the and the very fact that I know you're doing this, but that it's our job to make it better. We have to take ownership yeah, and actually yes, do it. And, and I know that you and I are yeah. line up philosophically. I, I do find it interesting, though, that while I don't disagree with any of that, there is mm-hmm. a lot of engagement with um, single panel stuff even tiktok itself by its very nature i mean you're watching short scenes on a single panel yeah um 
you know, uh, it, it, people are trading memes have been for years. Um, and it seems to be increasing again with what uh, Baudrillard had said about the semiotics and, and with uh, uh, what we're talking about with, you know, the very meaning of language. It's because we're giving it that meaning. I mean, you literally have people saying Black Lives Matter and then other people going, well, what about blue lives? And it's like, oh, were those under threat? Like, so there's people arguing. Yeah the meaning of things and trying to redefine things. And other folks are saying, no, you don't get to redefine that. But we're still arguing over images and simulacra um, in a lot of ways where other people are arguing on a very existential level of like, no, no, no I'd, I'd like to not die today. Um, and so you've got <laughs> all of that soup yeah. happening. And I think that is what has yeah. made such fertile ground for the absurdity that Gary Larson brings out. Yeah. And well, and, and it's, and it's interesting that, that our political discourse is going the way of Darmok and Jalada Tanagra, mm -hmm. you know, um, because like there's, there's a, there's a guy I follow on Facebook who is, who is a, an information, uh, he's basically an info warfare guy. He, he is he is the, he is one of these people. He, he is somebody you want to talk to if you are trying to really analyze and really put together a plan for communicating an idea and getting buy-in. He mm -hmm. he knows how that works. He is he is he is an info warrior like that. Nice. Uh, like legitimately, not like info wars bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, an Different. actual but, no, no. He's 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 he is he is he is an actual like no no, <laughs> and and he's he's being very transparent right now about a mimetic campaign he is working on mm -hmm. to try to build uh, uh, mask wearing as a behavior. Nice. Going so far as to give give these lengthy posts mm -hmm. about okay, look, here's how here's how all the all the Facebook numbers break down about you know how I can how I can target you know the, the people I'm looking for. I'm not actually trying to I'm not trying to get anybody who is you know avidly anti-mask. I'm not trying to reach them because I'm not going to convince them. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get to the you know college student in a, a liberal you know, college town in red flyover state, you know, and I'm trying to get them to then pick up this meme and share it and spread it mm -hmm. to, to try to build, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find the cool kids and get them to then spread this and, and, and build, build this out and then turn this into something that'll lead to, you know, uh, behavioral changes. Mm. And, and, you know, talking about, the construction of mimetics and, and, and the construction of, you know, getting, getting an idea and putting, putting a specific set of words together to get that reaction is, is an interesting kind of applied semiotics exercise, mm -hmm. you know, in, in that it's the juxtaposition again of words and an image to to elicit a specific kind of response and and he's he's 
spent a lot of time talking about how how he's trying to find the people he's trying to reach with it. And you know, it's it's it, it's a, a peek behind the curtain of when you are intentionally trying to do this, how much work can go into it. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there's an awful lot of stuff that happens that's just somebody trying to be clever and throwing something together that then goes viral. Right. You know, and 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 trying to analyze it sometimes destroys the magic. You know, and so... I don't know. I, I, I had a point I drifted off of it. I don't remember where I was trying to go with it. But, you know, when, when we're talking about the, the, you know, one panel kind of format and, and, and the absurdity of, of all of our communication being this kind of meta mm-hmm. kind of functionality, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's interesting to see that actually being actively developed and actively worked on. Yeah, consciously so. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, cool. Um, so, Gary Larson's back. That's a wonderful thing for comedy. A terrible sign for our existence. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the website yeah. that he's back on, by the way, is just thefarside.com. There is a shop on it. There is a daily dose of new comics. I'm going to tell you one. Uh, I will describe it to you, and this is what I recommend. I honestly just recommend people go check out The Daily Dose on the far side this week. Um, And uh, there's a gentleman trying to hail a cab. um, And, well, it appears as though he's trying to hail a cab. There's a whole bunch of uh, traffic, and there's one truck that is filled with stuffed animals, uh, animals that have clearly been shot, killed, and stuffed. And the guy hailing him says, taxidermist. Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, so it's good stuff. I I saw that one. I immediately thought of you. Yep. So anyway, uh, that's what I'm recommending. Yeah. Um, do you have uh, any recommendations, or do you want to just get to the social meds? Um, no, I don't. Right now, I don't have a recommendation of anything. I think uh, just getting to where, uh, you know, anybody can, uh, you know, reach us to to tell us how, you know, um. Kemu and uh, uh, Sarge were entirely wrong, and Kierkegaard is is the way in the light. Um, I think is probably uh, our best bet at this point. And so I'll start. Um, if you you know want to want to try to tell me what my point was a minute ago when I got rambling, um, you can reach me at uh, eh Blaylock on Twitter, uh, on uh, Instagram, and on TikTok. I am Mister Blaylock. They call me Mr. Blaylock. Um, and then, of course, if you want to shout at both of us about anything or, you know, politely say something rather than shouting, uh, we can collectively be found at Geek History Time on Twitter. And if they want to uh, hit you up for anything, uh, Damien, where are they going to find you? Uh, you can find me at duh harmony on both the Insta and the Twitter. Uh, it's duh with two H's in the middle. 
Um, you can also find me every Sunday night on twitch.tv forward slash calling it in the ring with Johnny Taylor analyzing wrestling matches. Um, and you can also find me at on Tuesday nights on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns uh, with uh, Daniel Humbarger and Mark Berg uh, doing a show that we've been doing for four years in a, four years running now. Uh, so that's that's uh, where you can find me the most. Also, we have started up a TikTok. Uh, it's Capital Puns on TikTok. So go there, check it out, give it a couple likes, um, and there will be more content posted there as our shows continue. Uh, so yeah, that's that's about it. Um, what do we do now? Oh yes, uh, for uh, Geek History of Time, I'm Damian Harmony, and I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling twenties.